0: Drawing from his 20-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New focus on wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host
1: for new focus on wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. If you have a money question for the show, shoot me an email. It's Chad at ChadBurton.com. That's Chad at ChadBurton.com. Uh, I talk a little bit about the debt ceiling here a little later in the show, but it's it's interesting. It's it's like the last couple of days that I've noticed on social media and texts from people that I you know kind of know but not really. Um, a lot of push into cryptocurrency based on fear of the government running out of money causing a collapse. I, I mean it's been fifty plus times that the debt ceiling's been raised. Um Reagan did it like 18 times. I think Barack Obama did it like eight times. It it's it's kind of a stupid issue. I talked about it yesterday on the show. Um, because we have we vote people in to create a budget and then create a way to fund the budget. And then we've got this debt ceiling that creates another sticking point and of negotiation for people to get little things in their plan. I'm gonna talk about one of the proposed changes to tax law that you know has passed the House, but uh, you know I don't even know what the Senate's going to vote on I'm trying to was trying to find that. I was frantically googling um, but right now um, Congress is you know stuck on this infrastructure plan, and then you got to pay for it, and the infrastructure plan so far the what is likely going to Come out is less than obviously the three and a half trillion that was originally proposed. Um, and part of this is just, you know, some of the people, both Democrats and Republicans, are like, okay, we got to be able to pay for this, guys. You know, we've, we've got to fix some things first. But a couple of, uh, one of my planners, a couple of clients have sent an article over to me um, out of the Wall Street Journal. And people are acting like these proposals are passed already, and they're not. But we've been talking a lot on this show over the last two years about backdoor Roth IRAs and the mega backdoor Roth IRA. We even had a sound bit for the mega backdoor Roth IRA. So the mega backdoor roth IRA, <clears throat> let's let's talk about it for a minute. So if you make too much money, you're not allowed to directly fund an IRA. Because there's limits. And so as long as people don't have any other IRAs, they can open up a regular IRA, make a non-deductible contribution, which is just all you're doing is depositing money in a regular IRA account. You're filing a form 8606 with your tax return, notating that it was non-deductible because you made too much money to deduct the IRA. And then you turn around, you fill out a conversion form, and it converts over to your Roth IRA. It's a two-step process. It's called a backdoor Roth IRA. Perfectly legal, not a problem. And it's a tax-free event as long as you don't own any other IRAs or simple IRAs, things like that. And so that's one way people were saving extra money for retirement. And or, or are saving extra money for retirement. And then the mega backdoor Roth 401k that we've talked about over and over again. You can just look at some of the old podcasts, go to you know, iTunes and you focus on wealth, find it. You just go to the website, chatbird.com. And there is several different contribution types that can go into a 401k plan. There's your salary deferral, there's your employer match, there's employer profit sharing. And then, in order to get up to the maximum allowed in a plan, you can do after tax contributions. And a lot of plans allow those after tax contributions to go directly get converted right into the Roth 401k bucket. So I have people at Cisco, Microsoft, Facebook, Apple, um, gosh name the company. Most of the large ones have it now, have this ability to do it. And they're getting, in some cases, $20,000, $30,000 over and above their deferral into the after-tax account that's going, boom, right into the Roth 401k bucket. And this is a great savings strategy. We have a retirement crisis in America. And for Congress to take away savings vehicles makes zero sense at all because... People are already paying taxes on the money going into the backdoor Roth IRA. And they've already paid the tax on the money going into the mega backdoor Roth 401k. And here's what happens in life. I've lived it myself. Is you know, just got into this business at 19 years old. Started building a business, having kids, four kids, two of them now in college, two to go. And as you get later in life and you hit the stride in your career, you're, you're, you're in catch up mode, right? That's the point in time where you're considered a high income earner, but you're also, you weren't able to save the 10 to 15 to 20% of pay when you're 22, like we always talk about. Some people are dumping all their money back into their business and. So yeah, they're higher income earners now, but they're also trying to catch up for decades of not saving. So kids get out of college, all of a sudden those costs go away and you're at the height of your career, right? You're in your late 40s, 50s, and you are you're you finally made it to that level where you've got extra income and you're trying to save for retirement. And it's stupid that these proposals, this is not law yet. It's only passed by the House Ways and Means Committee. But they want to take these away from us. So a couple of things. If you typically fund your non-deductible IRA contribution and convert it to a Roth you know, sometime after the first year, because remember we have until April 15th of 2022 to fund our IRA accounts for 2021. But if this becomes law, it could kill that option. So if you're going to do it, do it now. If you're going to make that non-deductible IRA contribution convert it to a Roth, you might as well just do it now before the loss change. And if anybody's plugging money away into their after-tax account into the 401k, the last I checked, most of our plans that we use, like Cisco, Microsoft, that 401ks allow for it, it just happens automatically. Um, the last I checked, our Apple clients had to actually call and do it manually. One um, uh, person into it that has to turn in a form every time they want to do it, so they do it on a quarterly basis. Make sure that after-tax money is converted to the Roth bucket before the end of the year. In case Congress is stupid enough to to pass this. This doesn't help pay for anything now. It really doesn't. It's just attacking tax-free accounts for the future of people that are typically funding it or a lot of times kind of behind and trying to catch up on saving. Um, the other thing that I mentioned before, which again is not law people, this is not going to happen. These, these two pieces could go away from a final tax plan. And the third piece that is attacking uh, Roth IRAs is a, right now, anybody, regardless of income level, if you want to pay taxes on your IRA money and move it to a Roth, you can do that. There's no income limits to do that. It's called an IRA to Roth conversion. I'm not talking about a backdoor or anything. I'm talking about you have money in an IRA. If you want to pay taxes on it, move it over to a Roth, go for it. You can do it regardless of income. Um, But under this proposal, there's going to be a 10-year window where after December 31st, 2031, for those earning $400,000 or more, they, they won't have the ability to do that IRA to Roth conversion. So what are some of the options then? If, if this happens, we can go over some tax-efficient investing steps that will just kind of have to go back to what we used to do prior to the backdoor Roth IRAs, prior to the backdoor Mega Roth 401ks, and make sure people are investing very tax-efficiently after they've maxed out their 401k. Most people can't even get enough money to max out their 401k. So what do you do after that? Congress, politics, it seems messier than ever. <laughs> Between so far, a fiscal package coming out of lower than what everybody wanted. When everybody expected, we've got a debt ceiling in the middle of it. We've got a tax package that's got all sorts of, you know, interesting things in it, to say the least. And anybody know when they're going to vote on it? I mean, it's—I know the original target for the infrastructure package was like September twenty-seventh, I think it was. But anyways, we got to kind of deal with what's law. If it, I I get all the time people email me asking about proposed regulation. And there's so much proposed regulation. I don't really deal with it unless it's looking like it's going to get passed. So if something just passes the House or the Senate, until it's about to come up for a vote in the other... you know, If it passes in the House, until it's going to come up for a vote in the Senate, it's like you, you don't do any planning around it. It's silly. You'd have wasted lots of time over the last 20 years years that I've been in the business. But um, we can go back and say, okay, on if this Roth thing happens, it's just a good way to educate on investing anyways. Because the best place to still save for most people, unless the funds and the fees are garbage in your 401k plan, is, is in the 401k. Right? Um, especially if you're younger, you can max out and put $19,500 into the Roth 401k. Just pay taxes on it now, let it grow tax-free for the rest of your life. And then you're going to get some sort of an employer match and maybe a profit sharing, but the total amount that can go into a plan is $58,000. So if you have a lot of money to save, you can take $58,000 minus your deferral, minus anything that your employer is putting in, and the difference you can put into an after-tax account right now and convert it to the Roth automatically if, if, if the plan allows. It's going to make it back to a Roth 401k. And so you've got some people getting $58,000 or if they're 50 or older by the end of the year, $64,500 into their 401k plans. And most of the people that are doing that are doing that to catch up on savings because they've, like I said, they've hit their stride in their career, their kids are out of college, so their expenses have gone down and they have more money to save. There's no reason that Congress should limit our savings. Um, so that after-tax contribution to the 401k Roth could go away. So what do we do about tax-efficient investing in general? So people would still want to max out their 401k. You'd still want to say, am I eligible for a Roth IRA? If you make too much money and that's not the case and they take away the backdoor Roth IRA, well, then the next step is to invest tax efficiently. And a good way to do that is large cap oriented ETFs. Large cap ETFs, because they have very little turnover. For example, the S&P 500, makes very little changes. And if it's in an ETF, when those changes are made, it, it doesn't create a lot of turnover and a lot of ongoing taxes because in a mutual fund, the old school mutual funds, if they buy a stock and then they sell it, and even if they bought you know Apple five years ago, you invest in that mutual fund in a taxable account today and then they sell it tomorrow, you're going to share in that capital gains tax burden. The way that ETFs or exchange-traded funds are structured, they're still a basket of stocks. They can still be an index fund, like SPY or IVV, or they can be actively managed. A bunch of companies now are releasing actively managed ETFs. But the index ones, the way that they're structured, they can be more tax-efficient, less capital gain distributions to their shareholders. So if you're maxing out your 401k and you've got a nice asset allocation, you've got large cap, mid cap, small cap, international, emerging markets, maybe some bonds in there if you're older. The next step when you go beyond that and you can save more than what you're maxing your 401k, you can open up a, just a Schwab or a Fidelity account, for example, and start buying large cap ETFs. Companies that you're you're going to want to own for a long, long time And it's pretty tax efficient. You will pay taxes on the dividends. Like If you look at IVV or SPY, I think the dividend yield is like 1.32%. So you're going to be investing and, and buying those ETFs. You can set up a monthly amount that goes in to the ETF and then set your dividends to be reinvesting when you're trying to build wealth. Don't forget to do that. You might buy a couple of large cap ETFs. Set the dividends so that they reinvest. It's a no-brainer way to continue to buy more shares. All right, That's very important part of investing is dividend reinvestment. As you start to accumulate all of that large cap exposure, because, look, large cap ETFs and large cap index funds they have very little turnover, very little changes are made. For the S&P 500, it's the 500 largest companies in America. So, only a couple changes get made every year. So that's not a lot of tax issues when one company's kicked out for another company. Whereas in a small cap fund, in a really good small cap fund, there's typically a lot of turnover. Either they have to... you know, A company's bought and then the business plan changes and they have to buy a different small cap company. Or a small cap company becomes a large cap company or a mid cap company first and then a large cap company. And they have to sell it because it doesn't meet the criteria anymore. Or the company is bought by a larger company, that creates another taxable event. And there's just more turnover. There's more trading throughout the year in small and mid-cap and emerging markets. All right. So as you invest in large-cap ETFs outside of your 401k, you got to keep an eye on your asset allocation. You might want to, if you are making large contributions or if your taxable account that you're investing in large-cap ETFs is starting to grow and grow and grow, you got to look at everything together in terms of a pie chart and in your 401k or IRAs, you might need to trim a little of your large cap and buy other asset classes like small cap, emerging markets, and things like that. So that your asset allocation remains the same. Because anything in your 401k or IRAs, you can trade and not pay any current taxes. So you just got to keep an eye on that. Now, let's say you get to the point in life where you've got you know, your 401k maxed out. You've got over a year's worth of income saved up in a... You know, kind of that taxable account and large cap ETFs. You've got your emergency reserve set. Well, maybe it's time to buy real estate. Maybe you're wanting to get into rental properties, for example. They're all pretty expensive now, but you can kind of think of it in terms of okay, I can, if I can save up a down payment that's 20, 30% of the purchase price. And all in after my mortgage payments, my taxes, insurance, maintenance, uh, property manager, that I can have positive cash flow. You're going to have this positive cash flow, but the depreciation on the real estate can help offset that. And so then you got into somebody else in there that's paying off that house because they're renting it from you. Even though they have positive cash flow on paper on your Schedule E of your tax return, it's not positive because of the depreciation. Now, you don't want to have it a bunch of, you know, you don't want to have that Schedule E show a negative number at the bottom if you're making over $125,000 a year. You don't get to write that off. That's suspended. But real estate can be the next step when it comes to tax efficient investing. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the Suitcases Always Packed Pass. Or the Wait, I Get to Choose from 100,000 Trips Pass. The be the Beach, City, Mountains are all free pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirado Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at InspiradoPass.com. Let's talk a little bit about tax efficient investing. I was touching on real estate and the way that real estate works. If you buy a rental property and you have your rental income and then you've got your expenses which are you're going to be your uh, mortgage interest and this all happens on a schedule e of your tax return if you your mortgage interest you have your maintenance costs um, your property manager real estate taxes and then you can take the structure on the property divided by 20 the value divided by 27 and a half and that's your annual depreciation so even though you have positive cash flow hitting your checking account that depreciation can create a situation where it The bottom of the Schedule E, it's a negative number, which you can use to offset against your ordinary income if you make under a certain amount. Most people living in the Bay Area that can afford to buy real estate, that is not a deductible loss until you go to sell the property. It's a suspended loss. But in a sense, it can be tax efficient, right? Because... You get positive cash flow, you're not paying taxes on it because of the depreciation and somebody else is buying that home for you. You put the down payment, that is your opportunity cost and you're getting some positive cash flow and somebody else is paying that debt off for you so you've leveraged and you've bought an asset. Now, I'm a big believer that stocks beat real estate over time on an apples to apple comparison. Because if you have... Let's, let's say you bought a, a rental property all cash. Let's say you go somewhere else out of the Bay Area and it's $500,000. And you put that same $500,000 in a dividend-paying stock portfolio and the dividends are being reinvested. And every time you had to pay property taxes or maintenance or put new carpet in or paint, you took that same amount of money and you invested it into the stock portfolio. The stock portfolio is going to crush it. Over 20 year period, almost every single situation I can think of. Now, where real estate keeps up with the market or in sometimes wins is because of the leverage where you're putting a small amount down. You're using bank money to buy the property. So you're taking a small amount of money to get a large asset. Instead of putting $500,000 into that piece of real estate, you're putting 20% down or 100 grand and you're getting an asset of 500,000 that's growing in price. But there's a heck of a lot more risk and job and time and effort in it. For example, I've got a client that likes stocks better than real estate, but also has seven rental properties. And one of them is in Camas, Washington. Phenomenal price appreciation. And he likes to buy new homes. So he bought a home through Lenar in a really pretty nice upper middle class area, four bedroom, gets a nice rent. Well, guess what? Seven years old, and he has to put a new roof on it. Seven years old, right? You were supposed to be getting these twenty-five to thirty-five year roofs, and nope, it's seven years old. There were some moss issues that were not properly maintained. You know, you can blame it on the property manager, the blame it on the person for not visiting their property and looking up at the roof, but also the roof really wasn't installed that well, apparently. And so he's got to put $20,000 into a rental property that's been a really, really, really good deal. And that's kind of eating up half of last year's appreciation and price. So he's not happy. You see what I mean? And then I've told you other stories of renters where this guy sat there and told me he was kind of in the lower end of of rental properties and was slowly selling off a bunch of properties as he got into retirement. And one situation was um, a guy that they were renting to apparently got. Kind of turned on to drugs. He was a um, he was in the healthcare industry and got addicted to pills, essentially, and stopped paying rent. knew he was going to get evicted, so he had a dog and a cat. He had a pit bull and a cat, and he dumped a bunch of cat food in the kitchen sink and dumped a bunch of dog food all over the ground in this house and left. And they didn't realize he was gone for over a month. So they opened the door to this house. They finally get in there. The dog goes flying out of the house. The entire house just, just smells disgusting because two animals were in there <laughs> defecating everywhere. And they had to gut the entire home. That's not something that insurance covered in that situation. So you can have issues like that. So while real estate can be very effective because of the leverage and very tax efficient because of the depreciation that offsets uh the taxes on your positive cash flow, there can be a nightmare. So you gotta be ready for it. You can't just go into it without a savings account, without I mean, you've got to go into buying rental properties, in my opinion. You've you're maxing out your 401k, you've got a year's worth of income saved up in like a, that large cap ETF portfolio. You've got your six months worth of expenses, but you also have to plan that if I buy this rental property, what if I have a six-month vacancy issue? There's still a lot of people out there that are hurting from owning apartments right now where they're still not getting full rents, And you've got to be able to deal with that. Otherwise, you could lose the property because you can't pay on the debt. And then your credit's destroyed. Then you can't buy anything for seven years. So you have to be really, really careful. So. You can go beyond that. Let's say you get to a point later in life, let's say you're 40, 50 years old and they've and you've done all of these options that I've talked about, maxing out your 401k, doing the Roth IRA if you can. Um, uh, you know, keep doing the mega backdoor Roth 401k if they allow it. You get that large cap portfolio ETFs, maybe purchase a couple of rental properties. If you're one of those few that still have very high income and you feel like you've got enough stocks And you've got, you don't want any more real estate. If this law passes, you're going to see certain types of life insurance policies become pretty popular again. The stuff right now, which I hate for 99% of Americans, might become popular. And that's index universal life insurance policies, where you have life insurance inside of it's a cash value, and the cash value can be invested in something that looks like either mutual funds or called sub accounts. Or in index accounts where you get a certain percent of the upside of the S&;P 500 without any downside risk, and you can build them properly so that they will beat bonds over time because the way that life insurance works is that you put in all these premiums, the account grows in terms of the investments, and they're the only LIFO account, last in first out. so you uh, uh, FIFO accounting, sorry first in first out, so your premiums go in and you can take those back out. When you, whenever you want to, and if once you take out all your premiums and you get into the growth of the account, in order to avoid taxes by cashing that in, you take a loan against your policy, and when you die, that loan's paid off by the death benefit. And so you're going to start hearing a heck of a lot more about indexed universal life, variable universal life, private placement life insurance for those you know high income earners that you know top maybe one to four percent of the population that's maxing out all the other options. They don't want any more real estate. You have to be very careful with these things, people, because you can design them in such a way that a person's making a huge commission or not very much commission at all. And when I use life insurance agent for some of my high-end cases, like multi-million dollar policies for estate tax planning, for business planning, like key man insurance, um... I, I use a person that they, they literally... Their company gets better rates with certain larger companies that we all know, that we all hear about because all they deal with is, is ultra high net worth. And so you can design them much better. Just be very careful. I think life insurance as an investment is awful for 90% of the population. For 90% of the population. But I think it'll change a little bit if this tax law changes. And the other thing that's changing a little bit is I just had to buy a hybrid life insurance policy in the state of Washington. So the state of Washington passed this sneaker tax, which is is it's an income tax in the state of Washington where there's not supposed to be income taxes. But unless somebody purchased long-term care insurance or a hybrid life insurance policy that allows you to use the death benefit early for long-term care insurance, they're going to start taxing people's income because the state is getting hammered with the cost of Medicare. So in California, it's called Medi-Cal. But if somebody goes through all of their assets and they need nursing home care, they go on Medicaid. You have to apply for it, you have to get on Medicaid, and it's partially funded by state money and partially funded by federal money. And so Washington passed that there's 14 other states that are doing it. So I had to get a $100,000 indexed universal life policy that allowed me to use the death benefit early to pay for long-term care in order to opt out of having to pay this tax going forward. And my plan was to do it, get through the process so I could make sure that other people and other clients that we know in the state of Washington did the same thing. And I just want to make sure it was a good process. And then, well, guess what? All the insurance carriers stopped issuing those types of contracts in the state of Washington. Unless you're getting like well over $500,000, really expensive policies they are like, Ooh, no, we can't handle all these applications. We, we don't have the ability to underwrite this many people. And most companies said, Nope, we're done. We're not issuing these hybrid life insurance policies in the state of Washington anymore. So that's what happens. It's like, you know, the states try to enact something to get people to pay a tax or buy insurance, and the insurance companies are like, no, we can't handle that. Um, I do like those hybrid life policies, by the way, <clears throat> better than a traditional long term care insurance policy. So if you're 50, 60 years old, you're needing life insurance, you're worried about, you know, maybe your parents went into a long term care facility or needed home health care or assisted living, and they didn't have a way to pay for it. I do like the type of life insurance policies. If they're designed correctly, we pay a premium, it builds up a cash value. And if you need the care for a nursing home, you can use the death benefit early while you're alive. But then if you don't ever need it, that death benefit just goes to your kids, your wife, or your husband, or whatever. So insurance industry will react to what Congress does here with infrastructure, tax package. People are really worried about the debt ceiling. I think a lot of younger people are paying attention to this debt ceiling issue because it's being tied directly to cryptocurrency. Um, if you, you know, know any younger people that have a Robinhood or Coinbase account, I mean, there's, you know, we all heard about the Jewish coin. There's a Shibu emu coin. I mean, there's a cryptocurrency for almost everything now. And a lot of issues that I see, it's not as bad as it was last year or the year before, but a lot of people that hype the stuff on social media get a bunch of other people into it, and then they'll take some profits. Um, especially some of the influencers. I'm starting to hear cryptocurrency mentioned in hip hop songs pretty constantly. And so you know the, the debt ceiling people are like, Oh, better get into cryptocurrency. The, I've got somebody that I know that that's been into it for a while. You know, making calls now on the S and P 500. And inflation, and you know, a collapse as a result of the debt ceiling. Like, the debt ceiling has been raised like fifty, sixty times in the last several presidencies. I mean, like Reagan did it eighteen times. Like Obama did it like eight times. It, it's it's kind of a silly thing. Um, it does remind us to pay attention to the national debt, but our debt to GDP ratio and is not as bad as Japan. So we have some room. We just have to get, you know, some fiscal responsibility in there. But I don't see a collapse issue. I know that we always get these black swan events. You know, we're all talking about the China issue of ever gone and we're, we're talking about the debt ceiling and infrastructure packages. The stuff that causes the 20, 30% corrections that come every five to seven years are usually stuff we're not talking about. Usually comes out of left field. And you can get into a point where you can look at the market and say, Oh, we've had this huge run up. We barely just had a 5% correction for the first time in like 11 months. Uh, it's easy to make the call at the top, like I'm going to cash in and I'm going to get out because I think there's a correction coming. But there's two sides to that call. If you get out at the right time, you got to get back in at the right time. And that's the call that most people don't make. Because they feel like they got it right. And they're like, Oh, I got to get the second part right too. Because look, if you would have got out in March of last year and you missed the correction, you might've been feeling like a genius just for a few months. And all of a sudden it took off flying past where we were. And the market ended up highly positive for the year. So a lot of people that felt smart in March and April felt real dumb by the end of the year because they were trying to time the market. And... I've seen that to twenty eight years of my career. A lot of people. I mean, we manage a lot of money at EP Wealth. Well over, it almost it's like over twelve and a half billion dollars. Now, I might have approached thirteen billion. And so, people think that you know, people that invest money for a living are very active, constantly trading stuff back and forth. That's no, no. Good money managers make subtle changes, and they take a long time to make a, a decision and then it's asset allocation first and rebalancing and then individual security selection that's the right way to do it i've seen it over 28 years i looked for the i looked for the you know silver bullet the gold bullet whatever you want to talk about for years and years and years trying to find more active managers that could outperform the market over the long run and morningstar just did an article i want you to 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 look at too because First of all, be very wary of people that are making you scared of the stock market. Like this Kiyosaki article that I looked at that somebody sent me the other day. Uh, the rich dad, poor dad. That's a great book to read. But from what I understand, most of it's made up. And really the guy makes a ton of money on, I don't know if he still does, but used to on, on the seminar life, you know, having people pay to go to seminars. And then at the seminar, a bunch of other stuff is sold like trading software. In the past, then buy oil. Lately, it's been by crypto from what I see. Anybody uses fear or greed to sell something else, whether it's a seminar, crypto, insurance, I, I, can't, I just don't like them. I, just, I can't stand those type of people. Um, I mean, there's, there's people that try to get you to pull money out of your home to buy life insurance policies. You know, this investment style that we talked about, total, total mistake um they then they you know publish a book which anybody can publish their own book and <laughs> they call it missed fortune that kind of stuff look i mean morningstar just did an article on this and there's different tactical asset allocation funds out there and in a tactical asset allocation funds it does what investors you know think that you should be able to do right shift between asset classes and attempt to benefit from shorter term changes in market trends should be obvious should be easy to do right you should be like uh, Elaine Garzarelli's bearish call before Black Monday in 1987. George Soros' successful bet against the British Pound in 1992. John Paulson's short play on the US housing market in 2006. If we're tuned into the markets, we should be able to do stuff like that and move in and out or get into the right asset class. Right? Shifting between asset classes in a major fashion has not led to a performance edge, according to this Morningstar article. In fact, tactical asset allocation funds have fallen behind more static asset allocation funds for every trailing period. In this table that they show, you can check it out. They show three-year, five-year, 10-year, 15-year, and 20-year return. And these funds that claim tactical asset allocation with lots of shifts between whether asset classes or sectors are all in and are all out are way behind just typical balanced funds where they do a range of 50% to 70% in stocks that rebalance on an annual basis and continue to hold through good markets and bad markets. Most of them are garbage. Most of them are garbage. If you get sucked into this world of trading, like a lot of people have been, it's been easy for the last several years to buy anything and have it go up. Now we're in this pocket of speculation time and there will be a big correction that causes a, a big shakeout, and the correction will happen first. And that the, the very speculative types of assets and you know high flyer stocks that may have a lot of revenue but no profits, so just be careful. I mean, dividend paying stocks that increase their dividends and, and raise them over time—that's that's worked for a long time, and it, it still will. So don't look for that—you know—silver bullet investing and be sold something that doesn't work. You got to do a good financial plan and then invest accordingly. If you need help with that, just go to com. Check out the team at EP Wealth. Well over 50 certified financial planner protect, practitioners, CFAs. We got it all. Attorneys, tax people, check it out. com. iTunes for the podcast. It's all there. Have a good day.